Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. So welcome to HashiCast, and I'm really, really, really excited about this show because I've got the Cotswold Platform ecosystem team who are responsible for bringing great products to you, such as Kubernetes console Helm charts and PCF integration and console Kubernetes and, and a load of really, really wonderful things. But um, I, I'm, I've got like a massive, massive appreciation for what the team's doing, and I'm, I'm really love it when we get to interview our engineers here on HashiCastle. I really hope you're going to enjoy this episode. So my name is Nick Jackson. You may know me from other HashiCasts such as, and unfortunately, my good old buddy Mishra is not here with me today, but it's fine because we have Arena, Luke, and Rebecca. Welcome all of you, and thank you so much for appearing on the show. Thanks thank for having, having us. Thank you. All right. Now, I think one of the things that really interests me and, and I think also really interests our listeners is, is kind of getting a little bit of background on your wall. So, you know, like, how did you get into tech? What did you study? Did you study? Uh, how did you end up at HashiCorp? And, and kind of, you know, what, what makes you tick? Come on, give me, um, give me the lowdown. So, hi, I'm Rebecca. Uh, I did not study computers, actually, at university. I have a bachelor's degree in math, and then I master's in physical oceanography. Now, that sounds like really far away, but I was actually creating computer models, uh, modeling uh, sea ice and oceans. Uh, so at that point, I was um, in charge of making a sea ice model, talk to an ocean model, and pass their fluxes back and forth so that we could see what was going on. Um, basically been working with computers ever since then. Uh, I started as a tester and have uh, worked my way along and now I work as an engineer. That sounds absolutely fascinating. Now, just as a kind of a, a side uh, on there, I, I believe, I don't know if I've had a chance to congratulate you um, in person because we haven't spoken in a little while, but there's a new member of uh, the Zanzig family, I believe. Yes. Come on, tell us about this, the little bundle of joy. Yes. So I uh, gave birth to a daughter at the end of July. And so this is actually my second full week back at work. So I'm excited to be here. Uh, that's, that's awesome. How about you, Arena? What's, uh, you're, you're a relatively new member of the team, maybe a few months. What, what's, how did you end up working in such a great team with lovely people? I, yeah, I'm super excited to be on this team. I'm, I always love HashiCorp and their products. And to be honest, like at some point in my career, I looked at what HashiCorp was doing and I thought they were never going to be able to pull it off. But I was amazed at like just how good quality the products were and how clear the strategy and the vision was. And so when I got an opportunity to join, I, I was super excited. Um, as to how I got into tech and how, what did I study? I did study computer engineering. I went to University of California, Berkeley, um, studied 
electrical engineering, computer science, but funnily enough, I didn't take any electrical engineering courses, <laughs> but my degree, I still have those words in my degree. Um, so I don't know anything about electrical engineering really, except for the very basic stuff. Um, and um, then right after school, I started a company, uh, started a company called Pivotal and I worked there on the, their Pivotal Cloud Foundry, um, the open source teams. Um, and I learned a lot. That was uh, an amazing experience. And um, after that, I went to Salesforce for a, fair, for a fairly short gig there. Um, I worked there as an SRE, and then I joined HashiCorp, uh, the ecosystem team. Nice. Super excited to be here. Awesome. And I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting to you as well about the, the, the PCF integration, because we can't just all be about Kubernetes today. Speaking <laughs> yeah, totally. of Kubernetes, Luke, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, good. Um, my story is I studied computer science at school up in Canada, uh, University of British Columbia, and then um, worked at like EA. Uh, not a video game website, not video games themselves. And then uh, moved to like a startup in Vancouver called Hootsuite. And uh, then I started working on an open source project called Atlantis. And I worked on that uh, for a couple of months, uh, just uh, full time. And uh, that kind of led me to, to talking to people at HashiCorp. And I ended up joining HashiCorp a year ago. And uh, yeah, it's been a great ever since. And uh, I recently moved to, to work on this team on a platform ecosystem because uh, I'm a big fan of Kubernetes. I have been for a number of years. And I think uh, there's a lot that we can do here with console and Kubernetes. And whereabouts in the world are you today? Because you seem to be everywhere and nowhere all <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, one of the, the benefits of working at HashiCorp is it's a remote company. So uh, you can fully remote company, so you can kind of uh, work from anywhere. So, But currently I'm in uh, at home in Victoria. Nice. In Canada. Righty. Now, console platform ecosystem, Irena. What, is, what does that mean? Um, well, what it really means is that uh, at some point, the console team grew so big and there's so many different things we needed to do. And that we realized that uh, it was important to also provide various integrations for um, the like the different extensions outside of console, like Kubernetes, for instance, or PCF, or potentially other platforms that exist out there. Um, and that is what our team does. So we are basically responsible for looking at for the different platforms that we think would be good to provide like a good experience, good user experience, good integration for, and. Um, we work on that, and right now our big focus is Kubernetes because uh, that is a big focus for a lot of people, and we want to provide a good experience there. And PCF is also uh, kind of like very important right now, so that's that's what we're doing so far. And potentially we could have other platforms. I don't know, like maybe serverless platforms, or who knows? <laughs> really, that's awesome. So Kubernetes, obviously, I mean, this, this kind of blog um, podcast is, is going out like right around KubeCon. And um, so like, let's talk about Kubernetes because 
I mean, it's it's pretty unavoidable. I think it's 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 an incredibly popular piece of technology. It's sweeping up the mind share. And if you're not using Kubernetes, it feels like a lot of folks are are really interested in using it, moving towards it. Like, why? Why? Why do you? I mean, I'm I'm not saying why is in why why the hell, but I mean, generally, you know, what what makes it so popular? What what is it that what is it about Kubernetes that makes it such an attractive platform or application that um, people are, dig so much? There's kind of a confluence of things that are occurring in our industry. So one is that we're, we're moving to microservices. And so we're moving from this world where we had one monolith that we could deploy and everyone had their own way to deploy it. And now we're trying to deploy hundreds, thousands of services. And so we need a, a way to deploy all these things and manage all this complexity. And as operators, we like to have things like the same. So we don't like to have things different. So Kubernetes provides a way to treat every application as the same, as in it's just a, a YAML file and a Docker image. So I think that's that's part of its uh, kind of attractiveness there, and that's why uh, as as the industry is going to microservices, that's kind of the big push for for why we need a platform that lets us kind of manage this complexity of deployment. And then I think you look at okay, well, why Kubernetes versus all the other Docker orchestration platforms that existed, like Docker Swarm and Mesos and, and PCF. And um, I think there's a couple of reasons like Kubernetes has kind of won that battle. Uh, there, for a while there, there, it wasn't really clear which one was going to win. Um, but I think Kubernetes had a couple things going for it. One is that uh, it was built by Google, who knew all, all the problems that you're going to come across uh, with orchestrating Docker containers, thanks to their experience with Borg. So they actually built a really, really amazing system. And that's a huge, a huge win. And another one is that the ecosystem for Kubernetes just took off. It had uh, way more contributors than, than Docker Swarm and then Mesos. And that was kind of like, eventually that's kind of surpassed every, every other uh, orchestrator out there. And now we're in a period where every cloud provider has uh, a hosted installation of Kubernetes. And I think that was kind of like the hump where that was the biggest problem with Kubernetes was it's really hard to install yourself. But now that you can just like point and click and get a fully managed installation, uh, it's kind of just, it's that, that was the main, the main uh, block, I think, that was stopping it from being like fully adopted everywhere. And so now it's just got this huge runway, this huge community there's so many integrations into it uh, that I think that's why kind of we're, we're in that world. Yeah. Managed services are like, without doubt, one of my favorite things in the world They just let you get on doing with what you want to, you want and need to do. Now, I think one of the key things, you know, about Kubernetes though, is, I mean, if Kubernetes is kind of like the platform and you, you do have a great, number of tooling, which kind of layers up on top of that. There's some wonderful integration, CI, CD, et cetera, et cetera. But this wouldn't be a Kubernetes kind of themed podcast if we didn't say the words service mesh. Now, you're all, you're all laughing, but you are all responsible for service mesh. I mean, look, I'm going to, I'm going to park the kind of the, the stupidity and, and the sarcasm, I, I genuinely kind of um, think it's a wonderful pattern, my personal opinion, but like, we're not here to talk about me today. But service mesh, like, talk to me, like, why Why do I want to use service mesh? Why do I want to use service mesh on, on, on Kubernetes? <laughs> Don't all jump at once. <laughs> 
So the, uh, especially when you're talking about Console Connect and some of the security features that you have uh, available through it, um, Kubernetes by default as is a really wide open, like anything can talk to anything unless you've done a lot of work to lock it down. Uh, when you start introducing um, Console Connect, we automatically encrypt traffic between all of your services. Um, you can use ACLs and intentions to figure out like restrict what service can talk to what and, uh, and, and really keep a handle on your system in a way that is much harder and uh, just a default Kubernetes setup. So that's definitely a, a big benefit. Uh, the other great thing about console in particular is that uh, because it started long before Kubernetes came along, uh, it works really, really well with all of your older setups as well. So you can connect everything, your new Kubernetes cluster and its services into console and then all of your older systems as well. And then they can all talk to each other. And so then you also solve the problem of not everything is in Kubernetes. So, so let, let's talk about this a little bit because um, th this is something that really interests me. I'm really interested in the ability that I could maybe use service mesh to migrate my applications to, to a more modern platform like Kubernetes. I've done the whole big bang thing. I don't want to ever go there again. Uh, the, 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 so, so you were kind of saying, the, so I can have, correct me if I'm wrong, I can have integration between a cluster of virtual machines and my Kubernetes cluster, and I can do that securely. Like all of the traffic is encrypted and, and it's all secured and authorized. Like, how does that work? Like, you know, give, give me, it sounds great. You know, come on, tell me, tell me, how does that, how does that work? Yeah, so you set up your console cluster somewhere. You can do that either in Kubernetes or outside of it, um, depending what works best for your, your networking. Um, and uh, set it up with all of its security features using Connect um, and TLS and encryption and everything. And then you can join your existing services. Um, and so each VM that is running one of your services would have an agent with it that would talk to your, to your console servers. Um, and then you can also connect your Kubernetes cluster. So Kubernetes runs slightly differently with um, its setup. You can use a catalog sync, our catalog sync feature, which allows you to, uh, it, it runs and automatically connects all of your pods and syncs them into console. Um, or you can uh, set it up with connect, um, which we have a connect injector. So every pod that you deploy into Kubernetes, we can automatically inject a sidecar um, with uh, the, your connect um, let me let me think through this uh, it has your uh, sidecar proxy that deals with all of your uh, security uh, connections so I, I'm interested here so because I, I I think I, I want to dig into this so the first thing that, that kind of strikes me here is that 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 you you have actually you know done some very very specific work with console to make it work and integrate seamlessly with Kubernetes that I'm correct in thinking, yeah? So, so let's kind of backtrack, right? Let, let me, let's go through this, this kind of this, like I'm a Kubernetes user. What do I do? How do I get this thing working? Like take me through these steps one by one and kind of explain to me in, in depth these, these component parts because I'm, I'm really interested, like what, what's actually going on there? What's the, what's the first step? 
Yeah, so we support a Helm chart to make it super easy for you to install console into your Kubernetes cluster. So you need Helm installed in it to have it, the correct permissions and, and things like that. But then it's, it's as easy as setting your configuration settings and saying Helm install, and we will set up all of the pieces that you need for this. You would have to decide whether you want the server to be running on Kubernetes or not. You would have to install the console agent clients. So there is uh, one per Kubernetes worker host. Um, and then you have to enable uh, connect inject feature. Uh, so once you've enabled that, the agents on the server all know that you want to be using the Envoy proxy. Uh, and then from then on, when um, all you do is you just add an annotation to your deployment or pod or whatever uh, YAML you wish to create. <laughs> so this is really neat. So, so I got the Helm install. So I've used Helm. By the way, just before I go on, do you support Helm 3? Because Nick and Tiller have got no love shared. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm on team Helm 3 for sure. I'm, I'm loving that. I'm, I'm, I'm actually a big fan of Helm, and I think it, Helm 3 is a real great direction. But So I Helm install. I've got my, um, my cluster running in, in Kubernetes, let's say. So to, to enable this secure transport, the, the security between the communication between two of my, my microservices, I use an annotation. So all I have to do is literally just stick a, um, a metadata annotation onto my, my, um, my deployment spec. There's actually two different ways you can do this. You can set up the connect injection by default, which means we will automatically uh, put a sidecar into everything you deploy unless you have added an, an annotation to stop that. Or you can have it off by default and then put an annotation to turn it on. Uh, and the one wrinkle is you do have to define um, any services that you're talking to. So you will need an annotation to um, open, up, uh, open up communication between specific services. I kind of like that. I, I like these kind of explicit declarations that, you know, it kind of makes it really clear for me as a, as a user what's going on if I can see that this service is going to be talking to, to this other service. Um, I'm, I'm pretty cool with that. Um, so this, this is really nice, I, I like as a workflow, because I think one of the key things around technology is that it shouldn't be a barrier, right? I mean, and I know all of the work that you all do as a team are, are to try and make that developer experience a lot smoother to, to kind of make things um, like seamless. Um, and, and I appreciate uh, a lot of those things. So I, I hope um, anybody who hasn't had time to check out console and Kubernetes goes goes ahead and um, and does that. So so let's let's backtrack a little and dig into this. Um, this process then. So you've got an, I've got this annotation in my pod and you're automatically adding stuff to my deployment. I'm saying stuff because I'm pretty non-technical around this kind of um, Kubernetes world. How does that work? What, what's going on behind the scenes? Um, I'm, I'm guessing you've got, a, is it a controller or, or something like that, which is intercepting the um, my pod specification and mutating it? How, how, does, how does that work under the hood? That's fine. So we run a pod, the Connect Injector pod, in your cluster. And it is um, working as a mutating webhook that 
takes all of the events that are happening, filters them down to the ones that we specifically want to act on, and then, you know, taking this action. And uh, so what, what the injector does is it modifies your pod spec to add an init container um, to spin up the things that it needs um, and adds in this sidecar proxy information as well. Uh, and so it, it initializes, and then when it when Kubernetes pulls up your pod, it now also has the information for the sidecar. So to, let's talk a little around the security on that, though, because um, obviously, if, if anybody can just deploy any old services, what sort of steps does Consul take to ensure that, that you know that, that there is security? Because from from my understanding, services service mesh work on a on a very sort of controlled identity basis. How does Consul ensure that you can't just masquerade a particular identity or anything like that? What, what safeguards have you got in place there? So it's by the service account name. So depending on what service account uh, the name is, that has to match the name of your service. So that's controlled by the operator. The service account names, you can't just like pick any service account name. It's, uh, it's like, I think it's at probably the highest like cl cluster admin level for Kubernetes. And so that needs to match the name of your service that you register. Um, so that's kind of the security there around what identity uh, we use. And then behind the scenes, we're using the token review API. So when someone tries to um, get a, a console token, which and then they're trying to register their service name, we check, okay, well, with Kubernetes, okay, well, they're trying to log in as service foo. You know, are they actually uh, service account name foo? Right. And so that's how we, we do that security there. Nice. So the so I'm, so I'm guessing, that, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but... So with this service account, service account allows me to use um, the, the, the RBAC primitives inside of Kubernetes. So if I'm the, the global administrator of a cluster, I can say, hey, um, Luke's team, Rebecca's team, Morena's team, you are allowed to own these particular service identities, which are basically on the, the, the RBAC for those service accounts. Is, is, that, is, that, is that right? Am I, or am I totally off? I'm not sure if you can control which things are allowed to which service accounts through RBAC rules because it's a little bit more generic than that. Um, but I'm not 100% certain about that. RBAC is a very complicated system. I don't know it deeply. Um, but I think that the, the main idea is that when you submit a job to Kubernetes, only certain you can you can only submit jobs if you have high permissions. And so at that point. Uh, we can like you have to make sure that the service account name matches the the name of the service that's actually or the name of the app, uh, which is kind of a best practice for for service accounts anyway. Which is like it's supposed to be it's a service account, so it's like so it's related to the service that you're actually deploying. Yeah, and ad additionally, as part of the Helm chart, we do have our back rules set up for all of the different components that you could enable, um, and so those are also restricted um, to to who has access and and who can interact with them. So I think there's a nice kind of segue point here because the Helm chart is not just kind of a great day zero experience. It's not just designed so that Nick can do Helm install and play around with console. You, you've built this thing to cater for production requirements, right? And production requirements for organizations who may be running like three nodes, there might be a small startup to huge enterprises who are running... Yeah. My gosh, I don't know, tens of thousands of nodes, maybe. It, 
talk, talk to me about how, how the configurability of, of Helm, because um, you've got some pretty advanced options in there. Uh, yeah, we do. Um, so we support uh, all sorts of things. So you can optionally turn on or off servants, cl uh, servers, clients, uh, catalog sync, um, the connect injector that we were talking about with security, uh, the like UI, uh, as well as we've included mesh gateways now um, and information about DNS, um, the central catalog for console and a bunch of options for each of them. And we've tried to make sure that we will work with uh, whatever setup you have in Kubernetes. So that includes um, any affinities that you have set, we, we support um, adjusting that so you can make sure you know which nodes things are uh, deployed on. Um, we have pod security policies in place um, and options for annotations for even cloud-specific things. So if you want your UI exposed through a load balancer in your cloud service, like you can set an annotation to do that all through the Helm chart. Um, so we've, we've had... Uh, a lot of work ourselves on this, but we've also had some great contributions from the community as well to, to really uh, make this work for everybody. I'm, I'm excited. I've, I've generally had nothing but um, pleasant experiences we're working with, with the Helm chart. I'm, I'm very thankful for uh, everything you've done on that. Now, I, I kind of, um, those two words that you mentioned there, which I'm, I'm not sure we've, we've discussed so far, but I'm intrigued, Mesh Gateway. What, what's a mesh gateway? Come on. Like, what is this thing? It's a gateway to your mesh, Nick. A gateway. <laughs> like, literally, a gateway. it's a gateway to my, like, <laughs> yeah. I never even, like, looking at it that way, so you should be calling it a, yes. Anyway, why do I have a gateway to my mesh? Are you saying I can mesh my meshes? Yeah, exactly. I have a mesh to my mesh? It's a mesh of meshes. Yes, it's basically a way to connect your two different meshes that may be disconnected otherwise, and basically uh, redirect your traffic from one mesh to another way to another mesh in a transparent way. So, like the mesh gateway uh, doesn't decrypt the traffic; it will just basically works as a proxy that kind of like just basically signifies like one network area um, and then. So I'm excited now. Now, so what you're telling me here is that I can have um, Pivotal Cloud, uh, Cloud Foundry, I can have PCF, and I can have Kubernetes. And if I use these gateways, these mesh gateways, if I mesh my meshes, then those two systems just work together. What about flat networks? Do I need to ensure that I've got a flat network between the two? How do I handle natting between my Kubernetes cluster and my, my PCF environment? Like what, what's going on there? Does that, does that just magically happen? Uh, well, sort of. You would just have to make sure that the meshes can talk to each other so that you don't have to go like one layer beneath and make sure that you have absolutely flat network. Um, so the way the console kind of um, works in terms of its join perspective is console's got that auto join capability. And, and obviously it, it's using um, gossip for um, discovery of other nodes and things like that. 
is there a similar capability with with like linking up these mesh gateways? Do I literally just have to kind of say, hey, Kubernetes mesh gateway, here's the mesh gateway for PCF, and it kind of just works out of the box? Or, or are you kind of hiding six months of pain and toil that I'm going to have to go through by configuring these things that you haven't written in your documentation and only Luke knows and he's, he's only going to tell me those as a sideline business when he's not pretending to work <laughs> for HashiCorp. Because I'm, I'm, I'm leading you into also um, a new feature, which I guess is coming down the line around mesh gateways, which I know you've all been busy working on. I mean, seriously, talk to me about this workflow because I think the listeners, for the listeners, it's really important. I mean, you know, it is incredibly, incredibly difficult to federate uh, different clusters and applications. I think the federation between console data centers is is some of the best I've ever seen. And like, if you're telling me that I can do that with a service mesh in my uh, multiple environments, then I'm I'm literally all ears. Yeah. So the way it works currently is that you need to federate your console data centers. So your data center running on your VMs or your data center running on, on Cloud Foundry or your data center running on Kubernetes, you need to connect, connect the two of them, the console, like uh, the two console servers or the three console servers in each, in each data center. They need to know about so, each other. So and that goes through the, that's standard console join via the WAN ports, right? Yes. Yeah, so what that means right now currently is that those three servers need to be accessible to the other three servers running in the other network. So what you're looking at, right, with that plus the mesh gateways is at least four uh, like network endpoints that are accessible to the other network endpoints. And so the new feature that we're working on, because we realized that that's a, a lot of network endpoints that need to be accessible and it's a lot of complexity that um, operators might not want to take on, is the ability to only have your mesh gateways exposed to the networks, which you would have to do anyway because you need to route traffic to some publicly known endpoint, um, but then have the, the console uh, federation or the data center joining to happen through that mesh gateway instead of having the servers to be also um, exposed to the network. And so that's a, a new feature that we're working on to make it easier to, uh, to do this. So I, you're telling me that I can have managed Kubernetes in GKE. I can have managed Kubernetes with AKS in Azure. And I can maybe be running PCF in AWS. Just no, no, no particular clouds of any choice or reason, but just off the top of my head. And by just having this single endpoint, this mesh gateway, which is going to sit, I'm guessing, behind a public load balancer or maybe even like a, a private load balancer or whatever, then that's the only integration and connectivity point that I need. As an operator, do I need to care that those things exist to route traffic between PCF, AKS, and, and GKE? Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's what we're going to go for. That's the goal there. You just need to expose one public endpoint or two for, for redundancy purposes. And, uh, and then away you go. I think there'll be a lot of people who will be very excited to see that. Um, me for one of them, I, th I think that's going to be going to be wonderful. And it allows me Yeah, to I mean, it's super powerful, right? And that's kind of playing into the strength of console, which is that it's been around for a while. And so it, it's, it's been built to be deployed in a bunch of different heterogeneous environments, so different types of platforms. And I think we're, everyone's like all gung-ho on Kubernetes and as they should be, I'm a big believer in Kubernetes, but I think it's also the reality is that you're not going to have everything in Kubernetes all the time. And there's going to be something after Kubernetes. And 
I think that's one of the strengths of console is that it's deployable across all these different platforms. And that's kind of the goal of HashiCorp is multi-cloud and multi-platform. And so that's in our DNA. And so that's kind of a, a big win for, for how consoles are architected. I, I love that. I mean, I, I love the idea that I can use Nomad for maybe batch processing for my, my Java legacy workloads. I can use Kubernetes for maybe my, my Greenfield hipster workloads. I can use PCF for my, my kind of solid enterprise workloads. No, serverless is hipster. Kubernetes isn't hipster anymore. It's it's too too enterprise, don't you think? Kubernetes is now enterprise. You heard it first here first. Yeah. So it's all about <laughs> is it what is it all about serverless now? Are you talking serverless, I think so. serverless, serverless, or serverless on Kubernetes? Because I need to know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't. I'm not a big uh, necessarily a big believer on the idea that uh, Kubernetes is now your own cloud and you can run everything that clouds run. I think there's a lot of benefits to having clouds actually run things for you, um, <laughs> including pro- probably serverless. Heresy. Absolute heresy. <laughs> Let's talk about PCF because we've, 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 we've talked a lot about, um, a lot about Kubernetes, but you know, the, the key thing is that people work and work with a lot of heterogeneous workloads. PCF, probably one of the most popular technologies um, of, of the last decade. Hugely, hugely important <laughs> system. Um, console on Kubernetes, come on, tell me, tell me, tell me more. Uh, you mean console on PCF? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. I'll edit that out later. <laughs> uh, yes, so console on PCF, uh, this is something that we've picked up uh, a few months ago or I guess a, a little bit earlier, but um, we've continued to work on it. And uh, we are engaging with the Pivotal team uh, to essentially enable, like the, our end goal is to enable a service mesh pattern. So like the stuff that we talked about, the mesh gateways, and like you have your PCF and you have your Kubernetes on AKS and AWS and what have you. Um, um, now, right now, uh, we are focusing on just supporting the service discovery feature. Uh, so that will be you have your PCF applications and you want to use console as your like single point of this is your service discovery mechanism. And you want to discover these external applications in PCF. Uh, because PCF has its own DNS system, there's really no way to like tell it like, oh, I have these other additional services and there's no API for it. So console is like a great plugin system for that. Um, and what we've uh, basically worked on is uh, enabling those uh, workflows. So like if you have a application on PCF and you wanna use console DNS to discover those applications, it's possible to do today. Well, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's really, really, um, really exciting. I mean, like, I think I said this earlier, but, you know, there, there's a lot of shade thrown at service mesh. And I think because it's popular, but generally I look at it as a tool and I'm like, I wish I had one of those things. Um, the, the, the kind of the, it, they really do make developers and operators lives easier and and i'm excited to see see where things go and on where things are going rebecca like what's next can you share with us the the roadmap for the the platform ecosystem team maybe you know like 
maybe some secrets or something, some stuff that you can, you can commit to things that necessarily the product team haven't committed to. It's fine. This is a podcast that will, it'll be recorded and archived till the end of time. But um, give me, give me the dirt. What's going on? So uh, the major thing we want to do is, is fill in a couple of gaps that we have. Um, because while there's three of us now, it was just me until earlier this year. Um, so that, that's a lot of stuff to do to, to keep everything up to date. Um, so we are really doubling down on making sure that our security story is, is super easy and straightforward. We're making sure that um, enabling TLS everywhere uh, is is super easy. Um, and then we're definitely looking here over the next little bit to make sure that we keep up with all of this stuff that console, all of the great features that console is putting out and making sure that we do that in a way that um, is super native for Kubernetes. So the, the federation through the mesh gateways, the WAN federation that we were talking about, like this is a new feature in console itself. And so we're supporting that. Um, and so there's a couple of uh, things like that coming down, down the pipe. Um, but definitely a larger focus for us is making sure that this all makes sense um, in a kube native way uh, for kube operators. I, I like that. I think um, I think that's a, a really nice kind of thing. You know, like obviously HashiCorp configuration language is, is is wonderful, but I really love the fact that that you all kind of look at the users and, and, and attempt to kind of really kind of fit with their workflows and. The workloads. Um, I, I, I like that. I'm excited. Now that's kind of the Tau of HashiCorp, right? Which is workflows over tools. Yeah. And so we see now that that as people are super adopting Kubernetes, that that's the workflow they want to use, and that's the way they want to do things in YAML and with kubectl. And so that's that's our, our our modus operandi is to kind of adapt to that and and make things uh, like conform to how developers want to work and operators want to work. Yeah, I, that's one of the things I really like about working at HashiCorp. I, I love that, um, that that very specific thing, workflows, not technologies. Now then, on technologies, though, because I know it's all about workflows, but I love technology. I want Shiny. I'm not interested in your Kubernetes. Kubernetes is passe. It's been done. 90% of all conference talks are covering Kubernetes. It is no longer the hot thing. Tell me what is. <laughs> What's going to be the next big thing? What, what, are you, what are your predictions for the next five years? I don't think Kubernetes is, is like past that yet. I think it's just at the point now where these big enterprises are picking it up. So we're going to see another big upswing here uh, as, as some of the, the bigger, slightly more conservative uh, tech companies pick it up along the way. So if you were going to use a, a kind of a metaphor, could you metaphorically say that kind of Kubernetes is currently where the electric vehicle situation is at the moment? It's not even scratched the, the kind of the surface of, of where it'll be. And, you, and you're totally making a non-committal prediction on, um, on, on what's going to happen as well. Like Kubernetes and enabled coffee machines, maybe? <laughs> Kubernetes or IoT? I I don't know. I feel like Kubernetes is, you know, like when you think about like I think about this a lot, and you know, technology as like 
don't know, it's some sort of system, you know. And when you think about Kubernetes, when it emerged, it was kind of like a standard. It was just taking the existing standard of running your containers in Docker and building a standard for scheduling those containers. So now it has become the standard. And uh, like running containerized application has been around for longer than Kubernetes has been a thing. Um, and so I feel like, you know, there is just like, oh, where should you be running your applications? Like they're running in containers in VMs. I've just listened to a talk about like, well, VMs is like this outdated technology and it's very janky and like we should be running containers on bare metal uh, because that's more efficient and that's like a more efficient use of resources. Um, and so, so I feel like running things in containers isn't going away anywhere. Uh, and, but perhaps like at some point we will have a more efficient VM technology which allow, will allow us more isolation that containers just cannot provide. Like they don't have that like physical security, which is why people still run things in VMs. And uh, perhaps like, you know, like Amazon Firecracker or something like that, you know, will emerge and there'll be more technologies that will allow for just spinning up VMs really easy. And then everybody's gonna be moving back to VMs. So because we got this container technology, we can kind of layer back on the middle tier and get closer into the metal again. Well, that's yep. interesting. I'm. Uh... I'm, I'm thinking I might uh, try and find a dime or two and, and sniff around a stock around that. That could be, I like the idea of that. Obviously, saving money and efficiency um, is a big deal. It's good for the environment. And it's good for your wallet. So I'm, right. I'm excited about that as an idea. What about you, Luke? What's your, what's your prediction for the future? Uh, I, think, I think what we're going to see is that, that people are going to start viewing everything from a cube-centric workflow. And so they're all, every technology that's going to be coming along, their people are going to ask, well, how does this integrate with Kubernetes? And so I think that's going to be a big shift that's affecting a lot of companies that make existing technology today, including HashiCorp, where you're thinking about how do you operate in this new cube native, cube centric mindset. Um, and a lot of developers now, when they think about things, they think about things through a Kubernetes mindset. Um, but I think that that the Kubernetes as a control plane doesn't necessarily mean that everything runs in Kubernetes. And so I think while you might have like uh, like a custom resource definition that says spin up a database, the database is still running in RDS or, or in Aurora. Um, and so while you're managing things through Kubernetes, I think there's still a huge, a huge amount of uh, benefit you get from cloud providers or what have you, so managed service providers actually running these things, but that people are going to be thinking about it through a Kubernetes mindset. Um, and I think that Kubernetes isn't the, the last platform to the platform to end all platforms. I think we're going to see, uh, first of all, Kubernetes is complex. We're going to see a lot of passes being built on top of Kubernetes. Every single company that uses Kubernetes today is building their own pass on top of it. Um, so I think that that's kind of one, 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 one thing I see happening. So I'm all, you, you disappoint me <laughs> I have to say, because I was hoping for artificial intelligence on blockchain. Mm -hmm. That's what I was genuinely hoping for. I was hoping for secure canary deployments based on artificial intelligence, facial recognition, and blockchain. Picture this. <laughs> I do a deployment, okay. So I'm doing a deployment and I'm looking at my monitoring screen. I'm looking at my metrics, got my camera on. 
Now, my traffic splitting isn't working on the metrics. What it's doing is it's reading my emotion. So <laughs> if I look like this, yeah. then it's going to roll up the, um, I'm, I'm smiling, by the way, this is a podcast. But if I look like <laughs> smiling, I'm going to increase the, the percentage of my canary. Now, if I look like this, if I'm kind of like looking pretty stressed and, and starting to pull my hair out and getting a bit sort of like scratchy and, and worried and maybe starting to sweat, automatic rollback. Mm-hmm. Now, Genius. I want that as the future, but, 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 but I want all of that interaction securely logged on the blockchain. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> Can you make that for me? Probably. <laughs> I mean, probably next quarter. Yeah, next quarter. <laughs> yeah. This is not a uh, this is not a Terraform O12 next quarter, is it? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Terraform. Sorry. Now, um, I've I've really enjoyed um, really really enjoyed talking with you all. It, it's been um, a, an absolute pleasure. Really insightful, um, and I hope. Uh, the, the listeners have really enjoyed getting some kind of insights into how the, the, the team operates, what, what you're kind of working on and where things are going. But we, we do have a, I say it's a tra- traditional question. It's a traditional in the sense that we started it. We couldn't think of anything better. So we just continue to roll with it. So very final question. If you were a component inside of Kubernetes, which component would you be and why? And that goes to you first, Rebecca. Oh, put me on the spot here. I, well, I mean, first thing that comes to mind is the kublet. You do all the work. And you run in the background and you, you're just super solid. Get it all done. Like it. Like it. And you're the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> and you, what about you, Arena? Which Kubernetes component would you be and why? Um, so... The ego in me tells me I should say the API server, but, nice. I, <laughs> but I feel like, I don't know, maybe I would be more of a, a resource controller. Ah, nice. You know, obviously there are a lot of resource controllers. I'll just represent the collection of resource controllers. But performing an essential and good task. Yes, exactly. What about what about Luke? I'm I'm kind of thinking Luke is um, an unencrypted secret inside of etcd. <laughs> Isn't that all secrets inside etcd? No, They're not basic anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, I know. They changed that. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely going to go Kubelet. I think Rebecca Rebecca stole that one from me. Um, I got I'll go Cube Proxy. Um, proxy. Oh. Yeah, I just write thousands and thousands of lines that are undecipherable that no one can <laughs> understand. Um, but yet, the system is it's critical that I do that, and the system does seem to work nice. somehow. Love it. Well, I want to say thank you all. It, it's genuinely most fun I've had all week speaking to you. And um, thank you, thank you for taking the time. I know, I know you're all really busy, especially leading up to to KubeCon. Um, it's worth noting it's only Tuesday, so just so our viewers know. <laughs> so until next time, when we will have more HashiCast for you all, 
Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to HashiCast with your host, Nick Jackson. Today's guests have been Lorena, Luke, and Rebecca from the Console Ecosystem team. Be sure to tune in next time for more HashiCast.